We are on. This is live from the table, the official podcast of New York's world famous comedy seller coming at you on Sirius XM 99 Raw Dog and on the Rodcast Podcast Network. Dan Natterman coming at you, co-host of the podcast with Noam Dorman, another host and owner of the world famous comedy seller. And Periel Ashenbrand, our producer and on-air personality. Again, it didn't start that way, but it has evolved in that direction. We have with us Constantine or Constantin. There's no we at the end. So it's Constantin? Constantin. Constantin Kitson, a Russian-British comedian, podcaster, writer, and social commentator. He made international headlines in 2018 by refusing to sign a university behavioral agreement form which banned jokes about religion, atheism, and insisted that all humor must be respectful and kind. He's a podcaster. He is coming to us all the way from England, but he's leaving soon to go to Italy. But he's accorded us a couple, uh, an hour or so of his time. We are grateful. Welcome, Constantin Kissin. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, you are leaving for Italy because you said England's going back on lockdown and you want to get the hell out of there. Yeah, I want to have a holiday before it all happens or a vacation as you guys would say. So, yeah, it looks like we're going to lock down again. Well, um, Italy sounds like a nice place to go. I know that Aziz Ansari has a house there. Perhaps he's there now and you guys can get together. I don't know if you're friends. Yeah, some problematic associations right there off the bat. Good stuff. What's problematic about that? Well, Aziz Ansari and me have, have both been in hot water over various things, haven't we? So that's what I meant. Interesting, interesting, yes. Well, um, not the same sort of stuff in my case. would have come through admirably. Noam, I know you've been wanting to talk to Constantin or Constantin. No, listen, I just want to talk to him because he's a comedian who who, uh, is so anti uh, woke culture. He's like a breath of fresh air across the Atlantic, and uh, he he, he belongs in our circle because he's such a uh, such a strong voice for free speech. So tell us, well, tell us about some of the hot water you've been in. Well, at the very end of 2018, I was booked to do a college gig here in London. And they sent me this contract which said that they have a zero tolerance policy on racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-religion, anti-atheism. And as you said, Dan, it also said that all jokes must be respectful and kind. Uh, I turned it down. I tweeted about it to what was at the time like three followers. Uh, I go to bed. I wake up the next day. It's a major international news story. Uh, Within 24 hours, uh, another comedian went on radio and called me a Nazi for turning it down, uh, which was... Just for the record, you're not a Nazi, correct? It was great for me because now I've got a niche, right? I'm the only Jewish Nazi comedian in the world. Uh, (laughs) absolutely crushing on the on the white supremacist synagogue circuit um and it's it sort of went from there really um yeah and uh, it became quite a big story and i kind of realized at that point that the, this woke culture was starting to bleed through into a lot of things it wasn't just staying on college campuses uh, and it's it's i think it's a big concern yeah so what are we gonna well oh, so go ahead dan you well, I saw, I saw well, first of all i mean what do you think about in principle what do you think about the idea of a college saying, look, you don't have to work here. We'd love to have you, uh, but we need you to sign this form and to respect this form. I mean, certainly uh, they, they have a right to do that. And Constantin had the right to say no. And I, I don't see a fault necessarily on either side uh, of that. Um, and it's interesting that a college would do that. But, 
you know, I mean, I guess they're entitled to, very frequently when I perform, I'm told that there are certain restrictions uh, as well. So you asked me? You fault the college for, for giving you the form or, or do you, you know, say, well, look, that's their right to have their, their conditions? Oh, it's totally their right to have whatever conditions they want. They could, they could mandate that I have to perform wearing a Russian hat, but then I'm, I'm free to say no, right? Uh, and, uh, and to make fun of it, I actually did a whole show at the Edinburgh Festival because comedy works a little bit different uh, here in the UK. Uh, you, you perform at the clubs all year round and then every summer, well, except this one, uh, there is a, a festival in Edinburgh, which is the biggest arts festival in the world. And you do a kind of like special type thing when you go up there. And I did a whole show about it. So I, my take on it is they were free to send me the contract. I was free to make fun of them for it. Um, and that's kind of where I stand on it. But, but also I think there's a broader issue, which is I think it's a symbol of where we're headed too. And, and to me, that is more of a problem. And where are we headed? I think we're, we're headed to this hypersensitive new age where anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. And that, that worries me. I think it worries a lot of comedians. A lot of people don't want to say anything because if you speak up about it, you, you instantly become Nazi. Uh, but uh, from my perspective, I think it's important to speak up, particularly, you know, I come from Russia. My, my grandparents were born in the Soviet gulag for political prisoners. So, so you come from got a long line of, of big mouths, right? That... Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so as someone with a big mouth, I, 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 I think it's important we protect the right of big mouth people to, to do some, particularly in comedy. You know, when I became a comedian, I was like, this is the one place you can like say stuff that you think it needs to be said. And if you can make it funny great you know um so th that was my my stand on it but as you say dan they're perfectly free to have any they want for sure so i mean i have a lot of questions but dan you have something else go ahead no. are you finished so uh why do you think this seems to be a worldwide phenomenon this is very strange to have something going on in america and we can we can expand this out to the black lives matter movement too which we would have thought was a unique to us and our and our um, dirty hands vis-a-vis -vis slavery, but it seems to be adopted, being adopted through the entire world. As is this political correctness, for lack of a better word. How, how do you account for that? It's you, all, all your guys' fault, isn't it? It's America's yeah. fault. Well, they used uh, to say that when the Ottoman Empire sneezed, all of Europe catches cold. Obviously, that's an outdated saying, but maybe we could say that now for America, we're such a big presence in the world. So we import all your stuff, good and bad, and culturally particularly, uh, and it's also in education. So it's mainly coming through the education system, uh, all your stuff for critical race theory, which just uh, got banned uh, in America. All that stuff is feeding through the education system. It didn't get banned. Trump said he, he was going not to allow it on the federal level or right. something like that. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. We should talk about that too. But uh, you studied critical race theory pretty carefully, I, I seem to gather. Um, if you had to, if you had to say um, something in its behalf, is there? Would you say there's any insight that came from critical race theory, which is which is actually legitimate that, that um, is mixed in with the stuff that you don't think is legitimate? Oh man, this is it's not a very funny, very interesting topic. Um, I, I think one of the things that critical race theory may be correct on is generally the idea of white privilege I'm not that keen on, but I do think there's majority privilege in society. So you, you would look at me through this webcam and you'd probably think I'm white, right? In Russia, no, someone looks like me. me. 
It's called black. Sorry, I mean, go ahead. Um, I, I shouldn't have. I stepped on your line. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's, it it's all good. I didn't have a line. That's the problem. So I'm glad you stepped on it. Um, but yeah, so uh, I think you have majority privilege where the majority group in society has a certain privilege. But I, I'm not comfortable with just looking at someone and going, I think you're white. Therefore, I can tell things about you based on that, how privileged you are, how oppressed you are, etc. That's that's my issue. But I, I, I think... Uh, as we've seen in, in recent months in the United States, there are racial in your country particularly, and they do need to be addressed. I, I think critical race is probably the worst way to Let's be that. clear, however, that it was the English's idea to bring story here in the... be racism in England? Well, it's hard to say. I, I would probably guess the majority of people support the BLM slogan, which I support as well. Obviously, Black Lives Matter. Um, and actually, I would imagine the majority of people without necessarily delving too deep into the things behind the organization would support the organization as well. Um, and we have racism in this country as well, you know. Uh, and historically, there has been... Uh, police institutional racism uh, in this country too uh, i I think it 's nothing like on the scale that you guys have over there, as far as I can tell um, and obviously we don 't have guns, which makes it uh, any interactions that are uh, you know have the potential to be violent they never escalate to that sort of level so last year we had i think one uh, one unarmed uh, person of color shot in this country, and he was a terrorist who had a suicide vest on and was claiming to blow up a bunch of people. So I'm kind of down with that sort of, you know, that shooting is, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, you know. Considering that the, the first Americans were, well, they, they were, I guess they came from a few places, but mostly from England. How did our gun culture become so different than the English? We, we just love, I mean, people are just absolutely crazy about guns here. Mm -hmm. I don't uh, know where that came from. Noam, do you have any... Uh, any, uh... I, I imagine the frontier hunting, you know, it's a different, different vibe here. I, I don't think about England, but you know, to, the, the uh, taming the, the West and the frontier, I guess you needed guns. And I, and, and I guess the fight with the, the Indians too uh, uh, brought the worst out and, and brought guns out. I, I'm no, I'm just guessing. I hope I didn't say something stupid. Well, I, I we really don't have Native that. Americans to fight here and the biggest animal you can find in England is a squirrel. So I, that, that's probably why. Yeah, I mean, we just have a different culture. So, um, and, and I, I, I saw that you had tweeted. So the Black Lives Matter thing is interesting because the, they, it, it was very, um, I don't want to say it was ingenious because it sounds cynical, but I, I don't know if it was calculated or not, but, they, but they, the organization took a name which is very difficult to, to object to, um, but the organization is quite different than the cause you might think uh, you're supporting when the cause of Black Lives Matter. So you, what's, you, you have some opinions on that, correct? Well, right. I, there's three layers to it, aren't there? First of all, there's the slogan right at the top, which I imagine we all agree on, yeah. Black Lives Matter, right? Then there's the cause, and then there's the organization. And there are three different layers. So it's 
so kind of for me it's a pick and mix i agree with the slogan i don't agree with you know abolishing capitalism defunding the police etc um and the thing that troubles me most of course is that the moment you say any of that uh you immediately become you know evil nazi target whatever uh and i just i don't think that's the way we should be talking about this issue constantine if you were an american citizen sounds to me like you might be a trump voter no i i'm a, a very much a centrist uh so i wouldn't vote for either of those two people to be honest with you if i could help it um i mean the critical race theory i think is such a big problem that that might swing it for me um but i i don't like even though as a russian i'm duty bound to vote for trump uh i i don't uh i i'm not enthused by either of those two candidates let's put it that way i mean well some people are of course many people are enthused by trump but i think most of america is is with you we're not enthusiastic about either of them but unfortunately those are our choices now you can vote for a third party but that's usually i mean arguably a waste of time right so yeah it, it it's a, it's a, it's a other, bad really. system man it's a bad system i agree with you well, it's worked till now <laughs> you know more or less um i mean we did manage to you know have you know kick some ass uh, as a country mm. for some time with that system with all our faults right but maybe it's time to to um re re uh, evaluate it now i don't know well, i think, well, I, I think it's a system that's based sorry no i think it's a system that works very well if you have a a shared myth right which is the american dream in your country's case right doesn't matter where you're from doesn't matter what you believe as long as you come to america and you become an american and you adopt those sort of values and you say we're all americans right and you can be from wherever you're from and you all buy into that but once you start dividing people along racial lines and you say we we we're more interested in someone's race than we are in them being part of one nation that's when you start to run into problems and which is where you are now where you kind of you're not voting for who you want you're voting for the person you hate the least i think it's a very scary time for uh um america and then kind of, i guess that means the whole Western world, I, I agree with you 100%. We, we're, they have no, um, let me just say, whenever I talk about this stuff, I, you know, I, I try in my heart, I'm always trying to think of what am I missing? I read White Fragility. I try to keep an open mind. Um, I, I mean, you could, you could hook me up to a lie detector test while taking truth serum, and you would find that I do really want everybody to be treated fairly, and I, and I do really want to know um, what I'm missing in terms of my perception of reality that, uh, that I could learn from being inside another person's skin. Mm-hmm. And yet, having said all that, when I try to imagine the society that they seem to be the critical race theory proponents mixed with the, the, the Marxists, the, the, uh, the society that they seem to be pushing us towards, it sounds dystopian. It sounds like everybody's defined in terms of their race. It sounds like we believe in a zero sum. It sounds like we get rid of meritocracy. And it, it sounds, I mean, it just sounds um, like, well, I think it really is exactly the opposite of, it's a cliche of Martin Luther King's dream of a uh, content of your character. And um, I mean, it, it just, it just sounds like the end of America to me. You don't have to look that hard to see other nations, including, I guess, the Soviet Union, um, that came apart 
when they couldn't see uh, a nationality beyond their their first level nationality, right? Yugoslavia, even Canada goes through cyclical bouts of the French wanting to split from the English. Uh, if America is going to be the first successful multicultural democracy, yeah, we're going to have to de-emphasize the race and ethnicity, right? I mean, that seems, it just seems like common sense. Right. And it just scares the shit out of me. I, I even, I'm talking a lot, but I even look back, I used to, I used to be like um, one of the only two white people in a band with a bunch, with a lot of black musicians. And I look back at some old videos of it recently. And I used to watch those videos and I just saw the band. And now I look back at those videos and I see myself with a bunch of black guys. And I say that because like if you can see, like if I'm, I was leading the band, like I would be leading the band or I would be telling a musician what to do. And I'm like, whoa, that, that might even look like people would perceive that differently now. Like the white guy's actually telling the black guy what to do in front of people. It's just, you know, but we, none of us thought that way. We used to tell each other to go to hell and it was fine. I'd be afraid to tell, you know, one of those guys to, to go to hell now, just like man to man. Um, that's, it's just awful every way you look at it. I know. I, I imagine you agree. No, with completely. Me. I'm trying not to nod my head off here as I'm listening to you there. I, no, I agree with you. And you know what the thing is? A big part of this is that I get more pushback on this from dumb uh, basement dwelling white kids. A, a lot of black people are, are closer to me on that than a lot of white people are, which mm. is actually hopeful in a sense because, you know, these white kids, you know, they may snap out of it or it's just a trend or maybe it's just being distorted by Twitter. Like, we don't really know how many people buy into this because Twitter has such an outsized influence, you know? Sure. I, I think I, first of all, I agree with almost everything you said pretty much. Uh, but also I think the reason, you know, when we, if we come back to the contract I turned down, this is where my concern was that it stopped being a thing that was isolated to the college campuses. It stopped being a thing that was isolated to the Twitter bubble. And it was now starting to be through into real life. Right. Uh, and we see it all around. I mean, the polling on this is incredible. In America, uh, um, over 62% of people say that they're worried about expressing their political opinions now. Uh, the majority of all three groups, Democrats, Independents and Republicans, all feel that way. In the UK, it's the same thing. Nearly half the country uh, thinks that uh, we're less free to speak our mind now than we were uh, a few years ago. And only 20% of people think that they're more free. Um, so it worries me that we're going down these racial lines. And you're right. A multicultural society cannot exist if everyone is encouraged to think of themselves as their racial group instead of as an American or a British person or whatever. Have you, have you, um, you know, can I say one other thing, Dan? Because I, because I think like, so one of the things I think about is uh, this idea of um, cultural appropriation. And, you know, if you were to imagine a society that was becoming very healthy racially, like, you know, the, the ideal society where people were, were actually beginning to forget about color and stuff like that, then you would expect to see total cultural appropriation. I love your dress. You love my hairstyle. I love your music. And that's what, that would be the, that would be the natural manifestation and expression of a, a very healthy society. So in a very kind of disgusting way, this movement is preventing any signs of a health. They actually object to any of the natural signs 
that we are a healthy society. Well, what, they're, what they're doing is they're re-racializing society and creating tensions between different racial groups where there were fewer tensions before. Uh, yeah. So actually what they're doing is they're taking us back uh, in time. Uh, and uh, it's, I agree with you completely. I'm actually working on my, on my first book and that's what it's going to be about to a large extent. I am extremely concerned about the direction that we're headed. Uh, you, you guys are leading the way, but in this country, it's similar. And it's, as you said earlier, in this country, it, it's even more absurd because the, the nature of the underlying issue isn't anything like the problems that you guys have in America, right? Uh, we, we, we have less racism. We have a much smaller uh, black population. Um, many of the black people who live in this country are first or second generation immigrants from Africa who are extremely successful, Right. They're not really experiencing underprivileged, being underprivileged or being disadvantaged there. Some of them are successful groups. So we don't have the problems yet. We have the same reaction. Nor do you have the history of slavery and Jim Crow that we have. Right. I mean, slavery, we have a little bit of and a lot of our cities and and buildings are built with slave money. So that's an issue uh, in, in terms of history and how you deal with that has to be has to be looked at in this new context, which is cool with me. Uh, but we, we don't have, you know, the history of Jim Crow. We, we have other stuff for sure. Who doesn't? Um, right, right. Well, this is when we talk about slavery, it, it's kind of, it, I mean, it boggles my mind because if you look at through history, every civilization has had slavery. Um, in, in Russia, my ancestors would have been serfs, which is essentially slaves until 1867. It I think. does seem like American um, slavery or at least new world slavery had a slightly different um, maybe not worse necessarily, but it was it was a different kind of a thing, you know, because it was racially based and uh, it was hereditary. I don't know if, like in ancient Rome, I uh, I don't I don't think it was racial. I think it was uh, in Rome. It was less racial, although of course, if you were a barbarian, i.e., not a Roman, you were a second class citizen by definition. Uh, but uh, if you think about Africa, let's say more uh, more black slaves were taken out of Africa by Arab traders to the Middle East uh, than were taken to the United States. I think the horror of the American slavery was the sort of industrialized n- nature of it. It was it was like a mass mass thing that was done on an organized scale in that way, whereas probably less so in other countries. But yeah, I think that, what can I say? I think there's something else going on. I think there's something that's just not frank about what's being spoken about. I actually don't think the issue is slavery. I think the issue is the legacy right. of slavery, meaning that uh, the Nazis were quite recent. But if I were, but if I were sitting some Germans and I started, you know, going off about the, their where were you German? People looked at me like I was crazy because uh, it, it's it's not an issue anymore. And, and, you know, in, in a few gener, what is it, in, you know, 70 years or whatever it is, it becomes almost bizarre to start attacking Germans about their Nazi past because it's done. But the legacy of slavery, the inequality that we presume comes from slavery is still with us. And when we focus our resentment and our outrage at slavery, I really think it's about the legacy of slavery. If, if, if black people were, for instance, doing more, doing better, were more successful than white Americans now, nobody screaming about anything about slavery, even old statues. It would, they, I think it would all become kind of just quaint and irrelevant, you know? Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, maybe that's an exaggeration, but you know what I'm saying. It's, it, it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't bother us the same way. Well, right. I mean, look at Japanese Americans who, who went through some pretty terrible stuff, right, during World War II. Um, still very successful, and therefore we don't talk about it. Is, that, um, is the converse true, Noam? If there was no slavery at all, but black Americans were still in the situation that they're in, how would that change in terms of the tension that we have now? I mean, I guess we can look to England. Right. You know, because well, England is in exactly that situation. You didn't have slavery, at least not there. Right. Uh, but you uh, have inequality. The complexity of it comes in, Dan, because, uh, you know, if you look at history, who would you say are the, historically speaking, most oppressed people in the entire history of West? And civilization. Uh, Jews. Right. Fat chicks. <laughs> uh, right. So maybe just behind fat chicks, you would say the Jews, right? Now, the Jews have gone through quite a bit of stuff. We don't need to get into it. Still doing pretty well, right? So we, we don't really talk about it in that way. So I, th- and, and I think, Noam, you're exactly right, which is in this modern sort of critical race theory, intersectionality dogma, it's really about who is doing badly, right? And if you're not doing well in society, that by definition in this way of thinking means that you're oppressed, right? And, that, and it's, it's a very crude method of trying to analyze all this stuff uh, because I, I, I am sure that slavery has had an impact on, on the descendants of slaves, both in America, in the United Kingdom and all around the world. How you address that is a different issue. Uh, but the fact that a certain group is not doing as well as other groups isn't just about the history of how that group has been treated. We know that from the examples we just talked about, Japanese, Americans, Jews, all sorts of other groups. You know, I'm I'm internalizing one of the beefs of uh, critical race theory, but I'm very conscious of the fact that we're four. uh, Well, Periel, you identify as a a woman, right? Three three white guys and a woman um, sitting around talking about uh, racial issues, and some people might find that offensive, but I I hope they're satisfied. I'm not talking for the record. I haven't said a word. That we're that we're trying to do it, um, uh, you know, with uh, with proper uh, humility. Um, so, so yeah, I think we the 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 fact the horrible inequality in America, for whatever the reason, and for whatever reason you think it exists, is a serious, serious, serious problem, and um, people can't overdo their attempts to try to solve it. You know, we've tried for a long time, and they can't give up. And whether it's the legacy of slavery or it's current racism or a legacy of Jim Crow or, or a combination of all those things, um, whatever it is, we should never, we should tirelessly try to address it. I, I would say that one of the things I've been thinking about recently that I feel the Democrats on the left are opening themselves up to politically. I hope Trump doesn't get wind of it because I don't really want to help him. But if I were running... I think that I could make some hay by saying, you know what? Those guys over there, they don't think you can do it. Look what they're doing. You're not doing well on tests. They want to get rid of the tests. They say that family is white, that, uh, you know, punctuality and hard work, they're these, these things, it, it is white. Even when they supposedly want to try to prevent you voter suppression, what do they do? They make you have to get a, a driver's license because they don't even think you can get a driver's license. They don't think you can do it. That's the people you're voting for. And I think that there's a lot of truth. To, there is something very condescending about some of these positions. 
happens such that if I was an everyday black guy, I think I'd be like, what the fuck? You, 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 you're going to tell me, rather, rather than double down in your efforts to get my kids to do better on that test, you're going to tell me that the, the way you're going to help me is to get rid of the test altogether. So magically, when he gets out in the world, these skills just don't, you know, he won't have them, but somehow nobody's going to notice because he wasn't tested on them. Go fuck yourself. You need to spend double the money. You need a Manhattan Project to teach my kids how to do well on the SATs. But don't you dare take the SAT away because all that tells me is you don't think my kids can do it. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that, that, that it puts the, then the person has to answer that and says, no, no, we think you can do it. Well, if you think, right, well, then why, then why are you getting rid of the test if you think we can do it? Well, this, this has been very well covered. There's a, a black American a journalist who writes for the Wall Street Journal called Jason Riley, uh, who wrote a book called Please Stop Helping Us. And this is him and Thomas Sowell and people like that. They've been talking about this for a long time, which is, uh, while I think there's, there's plenty of very decent people on the center left, the far left is not only racist against white people now, it's actually racist against minorities as well. Uh, in, in a sort of bigotry of low expectations, like, oh, you are these poor little oppressed people and we need to talk down to you. And, and there's, there's a lot of evidence, actually. I, I, I remember seeing a, yeah. some analysis done on how uh, sort of far-left Democrats versus Republicans talk to groups of black people. And the analysis shows that the, the far-left Democrats dumb down their language when they're addressing groups of black people. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, as I said, this is why I'm so concerned about critical race theory and all this and woke shit because it's really about uh, it's it's a racism of its own, uh, and I don't like racism. Are you? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it is a. I guess it's a racism. I, I kind of, I, I kind of uh, uh, hesitate to call it racism. I think, in any case, yeah, yeah, it's a kind of because racism ought to have some notion of hate attached to it. So, as, so as what would like you call conversation to, uh, to against a group of people based on their skin color? No, no, you're right. I, I don't, there is no, there isn't a, a, a good shaded word for that. I just, it's not the evil of a KKK racism. It's a different, it's a different brand of it, but it's, um, it, it is in its essence, like I said, it is in its essence a, a belief that these people are not up to the task yeah. And um, that's an outrage because it's not true. First of all, it's not, there are charter schools in New York where the average score, and these are mostly black kids, where the average scores exceed the scores of Asian kids in schools. I mean, there are success stories uh, right and left. Uh, Actually, Jason Riley wrote a column about that um, in in the Mm -hmm. journal. And the left wants to eliminate these opportunities and these methods. You know, it's unions, who knows what it is, but they're not, they're not helping the people they're, they're trying to help, that's for sure. I, th- I think it's sure. very important to distinguish between the left and the far left. I think the left, uh, I, I historically have been voted mostly on the left in my life. I think the center left uh, is, has sensible ideas on many things, but sensible people on the center left are terrified of saying that they denounce the far left and the far left is in the driving seat. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we are where we are. Yeah, well, where is, where is the center left? I mean, you, you barely hear a peep out of them, and then they always back down. I think we need to, um, Francis, is that her name? You... Yeah, it's his name. Oh, I'm sorry, it's his name. Oh, no. Francis and I host a YouTube show together called Trigonometry, where we're sort of like a very small, uh, but still the biggest in the UK equivalent of Joe Rogan here. 
And so we talked to you. Say hello, Frank. Hello, how, how are you doing? And if, if anybody wants, I will identify as a woman in this conversation. <laughs> Whatever makes anyone feel more comfortable where where are you from francis oh uh, no now here's a story uh i'm originally from south london um my mother is uh, latin american uh, my dad is from a place called wigan you've never heard of it and it's for good reason it's a mining town in the north of england because 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 constantin sounds like i was trying to say this earlier it was a little off topic but i'm getting a hint of northerner uh in <laughs> Uh, well, now, now I'm insulted. You bring me on and this is what you did to me. No, no. If, if, if Constantine went to the north of England, he would deservedly get violently assaulted. I would. I would get my head smashed in. Yeah. But that doesn't sound like a proper London accent either that you're sporting. Who, me? No, no Constantine. No, Constantine. No no. no, no, no. I've lived all over the place, but it's sort of a, like here, and this is, ties into the issue we were talking about, about race and stuff, really particularly in the UK, but also to a large extent in America, the, the outcomes between different racial groups is mostly a class issue, right? And in the UK, the class system is very strong. So my accent is sort of middle class. And that's why if I went to the North, uh, I'd mostly get my head kicked in. But I'm sorry, yeah, I swear th- I hear a little bit of John Lennon in your voice. <laughs> uh, be- you know what? Our producer's from Liverpool, and if he heard that, he would be mortally offended. Yeah. He's going <laughs> to kick my head in now. By, by the way, uh, I want to give Francis a proper introduction. Uh, he's a British Latino comedian, which he mentioned, and he is uh, written, this is Francis Foster, written for television and open for Eddie Izzard, Jeff Garland, and our friend Al Madrigal, who's a comedy seller regular. Indeed. Um, so that's a proper intro for you. We're big on intros on this show. Perry, I loves intros. I, I don't, to me, I like to keep it. I don't see the need for a big to do, but she. It's not about these intros. For you. It's people are listening. They want to know who's. No, they don't. Listen, I, I'm I'm a big fan of Jeopardy. Good evening, welcome to Jeopardy. First question. That's what they don't they, they, they don't you know they, they they get right to it. But yeah, you need an intro. We again. have to do and, an ad. Done. Yeah, we have to do an ad. Also, we have an ad that we're doing, uh, and we'll get back to um, Constantine and Francis after this word from our sponsor, uh, MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is where you find it, and. Uh, Winning season is, it returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means survivor, super contests, and squares. At my bookie, winning season means hitting all your parlays and props with your feet up, watching your team trounce their rivals. Rejoice, it's time to celebrate the NFL season for our British guests. NFL is um, a a football association. Uh, a professional uh, North American football, not soccer, as you people play over there. Uh, invest in your intuition. Use promo code Comedy Seller and double your first deposit. New players get up to a thousand dollars in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. From live betting to championship futures, every play you want to make is waiting at my bookie. It's simple: make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Use promo code Comedy Seller and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today. Only at my bookie and uh we're back with constantin and francis who are co-hosts of triggered nometry was it which is joe rogan of england yes. joe rogan podcast of england which is pretty enormous considering joe rogan is 
Are you guys, but, but, but I, I'm sensing you guys are more intellectual than that lunkhead Joe Rogan. <laughs> I mean, I, he might be. I'm certainly not intellectual. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a comedian. Uh, in fact, uh, you were talking about introductions. There's, it's very, very different, the American style of introduction to the British style. Because I've hosted a lot of shows and normally when we invite a comedian on as an MC, you don't say anything, right? Because you let the audience judge for themselves. Americans, you like the big credits. You're like, he starred on this, he starred on that. He's a star of this. If you do that to a British audience, every single person in the British audience will go, ah, thinks he's funny, does he? Come on. (laughs) I think the British have it correct. This is one of the rare instances where the British have it right, but we have it wrong. Um, just bring me on, you know, and, and let my jokes do the talking. <laughs> bring me on. I'm obviously- they say you've seen him. Well, they say you've seen him on Conan. Well, no, they haven't seen me on Conan in all likelihood. <laughs> very, very, very unlikely. They've seen me anywhere. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a question. I have a question. It just occurred to me now. I don't know why I ever thought of this. Before. Go ahead. So in America, we're, we're very um, aware now of unequal outcomes. And that does, I'm not just, I'm not even in race, you know, in, in a black America, but any that we, we've kind of adopted this idea that if everything were as it should be, you would see basically equal representation of every ethnic group and everything in, in every single aspect of society, I guess, except, uh, well, whatever. But um, I think, no, uh, I'm going to say the NBA, he thought the better yeah, of it. <laughs> but, um, or indeed the 100 meters at the Olympics. But, but this, oh, yeah, that's right. But this is what's interesting to me. So Europe, you have all those cultures living next to each other in their each in each and their individual country, and they don't do the same. But that but none of them, you know, you're not. So how do you guys like the Germans? You cannot beat these people down. It doesn't matter what you do to them. A generation later, they're on top of the heap, right? The British too. It. They have. Um, oh, and, I think and the Russian countries are a good pair of them. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> but I mean. Is it is that a is that a decent laboratory uh, situation to say that with you know you you shouldn't ex- every, every culture is different and you shouldn't expect equal outcomes? Well, go for it. I think the Europe is very very different because people see Europe and they see it, you know that we do have these different cultures. But I think in the UK we are very very much influenced. We're like your little brother who follows you around copies every single thing that you do, some of the good stuff, but a lot of the bad stuff as well. Whereas I think European cultures, they don't have that American influence. It's not as great as it is here, where we pretend to be better than you, but deep down, we suck up to you and we really want to be you. Well, right, but what I'm, okay, but what I'm saying, like, like, so Germany obviously is outperforming, I don't know, Italy, right? Like it, it almost- That's by not every difficult, <laughs> Right, right. Now, what I'm saying is that if, if the German people and the Italian people live side by side under the same nation, wouldn't we still see the German people out, out doing the Italians? Like, like, isn't there something that is just, or maybe the Italians excel at this and the Germans excel at that. Like even in COVID, is it any, is, doesn't seem like an accident to me, like that the Germans are, really good about wearing their masks and staying healthy. They just seem to be more disciplined as a culture for better and for worse, right? Um, but in America, we just assume that the only explanation has to be that something funny is going on under the hood. Hmm. But sometimes cultures are just different. Well, see, it's interesting. Dan threw me the hot potato earlier of suggesting that I'd be a Trump voter if I lived in America. <laughs> if you lived here, Noam, you would be a Brexiteer uh, because... 
this is really one of the fundamental problems of the European Union, that you've got these completely different countries with different histories, different economies, uh, everything is very different, but they're, they're sort of jammed together into this one thing and it's tearing apart from within because of that very issue. Um, so yeah, the, the European Union is a very good example of the fact that cultures are different. And it's also as well that the European Union, especially the Euro, is designed to suit the Germanic economy. Therefore, Germany does a lot better out of it than, for instance, Spain or Italy. So the Euro is a very, very, very powerful country, which suits German and German's economy. However, if you are like Spain, for instance, and your economy is based on agriculture and tourism, the last thing you want is a strong currency because you're not going to be able to sell your products abroad and you're not going to be able to get people to come and visit you on holiday. So it suits Germans. It really doesn't suit Spain or the Southern European nations. Yeah, the Southern European nations are really struggling, which is why we're going to Italy, because we can get more for our money. Absolutely. And we're so not going to piss them off with that. You guys are together. You're both going to Italy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You guys are best friends, not just, uh, not just uh, podcast partners. Norm and I seldom travel together. Well, the problem is, is uh, we've currently pissed off so many people in comedy. <laughs> the only two people who talk to each other now are us. You, by the way, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't cotton to the term a Latin X, I presume. No, fuck that. Do they have that in England? Yeah, no, we we don't. People don't know what a Latino person is in England. In England, we think a Latino person is somebody who once visited Italy. You've got no idea about well, Latin America. Look, certainly don't look. If you were in America, nobody would take you seriously as a Latino anyway. <laughs> I mean, you could say you were, but you'd be dismissed rather uh, quickly I, because you I, don't... Well, this is one of the things that we keep talking it's about, the race, right? right? Is if, if Francis had been born the, color, the skin color of his mother, he'd be an oppressed minority. And if he, and if he was born the way that he's born now, he's the oppressed. Right. Same guy, same genes, just a different switch. You know, and this is where all this stuff just falls apart. It's really, really simplistic and stupid. You know, I have. No, I, go ahead. Sorry. No, carry on. No, no, you're the guest. You go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> now no, after you. <laughs> it just made me realize that it's nonsense because in a lot of gigs in the UK, they have a Bane quota. And I turn up and they go, we've got too many white men. And I go, well, uh, I'm Bane. They go, what? I go, well, my mother's Latin American from Venezuela. Uh, but actually, my grandfather was an Arab. Uh, he was from Lebanon. Well, well, you didn't tell me we were going to have an Arab on. If I had to get oh, go an Aaronite Christian. Yeah. Well, he, That's, he was, I'm kidding. He was originally a Coptic Christian. Um, and uh, so I go, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm technically Bayman. Then they get very, very uncomfortable. And then I ask a question, which is my favorite question, which is where along the Dulux color chart would you want me to be? For me to have my Bane card, and, and then I don't get booked again. I don't know if they have the. I don't know what that is. Color chart in America. Do, yeah. do you guys have the no. Dulux color chart? I didn't think. No, so. no, it's basically the chart which has got all the colors on it, where you pick which one you want your bathroom to oh, be. Oh, we have that. We have a. Yeah, yeah, yeah there yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. Jokes work well when you explain them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but it, it's interesting as well because we get attacked from both sides. So, so the far left crazies hate us, and also the far right really hate us. So when they watch our show and come after us, uh, I am the shifty Jew and Francis is the secret Jew. Or before I lost weight, the fat Jew. The secret fat Jew. Absolutely. Yeah. I had, I had lunch with a guy from, who works at CNN today and he said something interesting about this Latinx thing. He said it's a very, he says he believes it's ostentatious uh, at its root because they could have just changed it to Latin. <laughs> 
You could have, they didn't, they didn't, right? They had to add the X to make it sound, but really it would just like, just, just change it to Latin, right? You know, and and that, that would have accomplished the same thing. So, which I thought was, I'd never thought of that before. I thought that was exactly right. Like, and, right? and it's also uh, an act of oppression because what the white man is doing is he's changing the Hispanic language without their consent. It's so stupid. Of course, you're going to have to go through every object, every noun, and change it, right? Like, why, why just Latino? I mean, is it anybody from Latin America? So, you know, there are people in Latin America that are Germans, that are Italians, that are Sp Castilian Spanish. Um, and they're as white as any, any white man. You know, they just happen to have been born in Latin, in Latin America and speaking Spanish. But... Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess you'd say that's a white Hispanic, I guess, is what we call that. And, and the thing is, race is very, very different in, in somewhere like Venezuela. So I'll take an example of Venezuela. Venezuela is so mixed because, you know, all different types of people have been there or gone there and lived there, whether it's black people, whether it's Native Americans, whether it's all different types. So frequently in a family, you'll get someone who looks like me and then their sister, who's actually very, very dark and has taken maybe from the native uh, part of the family or the black part of the family. So this idea of race is it's, it's viewed in a completely different way in Latin America as it would be viewed here. Well, you're touching on something which I actually believe um, is that the only answer to this eventually is going to have to be inter miscegenation. Is that the word, Dan? Like, like interracial? Well, that is the word. Sure. It's the word for, for what you're describing, yes. In, in, inbreeding because... Inbreeding um, means something very, very different. Uh, in this or, or mixed, mixed breeding. <laughs> interbreeding. In, yeah. inter, interbreeding. Interbreeding. Yeah. Interbreeding. Interbreeding. Yeah. Um, inbreeding is something we shouldn't advocate. Inbreeding, don't, don't knock it. Uh, yeah, our Jewish people, uh, have you ever gone to B&H photo in... A, in this, we, we have a little inbreeding too, but yeah. interbreeding, um, uh, that seems to be the only long-term answer to what at root is just a very deep, primitive, genetic, tribal instinct, you know? We talk, we talk about racial problems in America along the black, white, and black, Hispanic divide, hmm. it, but, but we don't speak about the Asian, white divide, perhaps because maybe there isn't one of any real significance. Or the right. Asian East Indian divide is—is is there one? Is there a significant rift there? Hmm. And what about the Black Hispanic divide and or the Black? There is Jew a rift there. Right? All, all of that sort of shit. It just look. This conversation is extremely dangerous, and it leads us down a very dark path. And the sooner we stop talking about this crap, the better. The known solution is everybody fuck everybody. <laughs> right, right. And actually, we had a guest on our show a while ago called Eric Kaufman, who wrote a book called White Shift. And one of the things he talks about is over time, what is considered, quote unquote, white is going to change. So first generation, and I think also maybe second generation Latinos identify as Latino, but most of them, by the time they get to third generation, they identify as white. So as the demographics of the United States change, you'll start to find that the descendants of people who are currently considered people of color will now think of themselves as white, potentially. That's at least it. Well, I have to hand it to know him. Not only does he advocate interbreeding, he's doing it. <laughs> oh, is he? His wife is Indian slash Puerto Rican. She's got a Puerto Rican attitude, but she's part Indian, and her ki and, and their kids are, you know, whatever mix that would be. But um, And how they'll identify later on, I'm sort of anxious to see. <laughs> I, 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 I think... I think in touching what's very interesting with this discussion in and the difference between America and the UK, you might have already touched it before, 
Here in the UK, we have what is called the class system, which uh, an American standard put it rather beautifully, is a fantastic way to discriminate against, discriminate against somebody who looks like you. <laughs> so what you have in the UK is people born into a certain strata of society, and it is very, very difficult for them to move out of that strata. And people can see what strata of society you're from by the way you dress, by the way you behave, by your accent, and so on and so forth. And it's quite simply that if you're born into, let's say, a lower strata of society, it's very difficult for you to progress because you haven't been to the right schools, you haven't got the right connections, etc., etc., etc. And that class system has been bred into this country for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. It's why we still have a royal yeah, family. And, and it's very easy to tell who's who. So, for example, if Francis and I both walk in, into an interview uh, and the interview is middle class, they're much more likely to hire me because Francis has a more slightly more working class accent and would dress in a more working class way, which is where we come back to the racing. It's the same thing. Like the racial issue is mostly about the fact that uh, due to being more new, newer people in the country, etc., people of color uh, tend to be more, more proportionally working class because they've come from abroad and it takes some time to build up your capital and build up, uh, you know, power, etc. In England, you have the same um, adoration for the self-made men. There's nobody more admired in America than the self-made, than the, 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 the shittier your uh, background, the better. And people like to exaggerate how poor they were when they, when they uh, grew up and how little they, you know, nobody wants to admit they came from a nice home. Let, let me tell you one thing I've learned in all my time living in this country. British people hate successful people. Absolutely. In America, you have the American dream. In Britain, we don't have dreams. You know your place and you stick to your place. Exactly. That's how we do it. Wait, no, my family is crossed the party. Why is Perry Elder? Hey, my wife. Come here, Juanita. I do want to talk now so they can see you. I see. Yeah. You're a person of color. I told you. <laughs> no, your uh, your virtual background is rendering everything. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll take it off so you can. Uh... Where's the Harvey? Where's the Harvey? Where's the Harvey? Harvey's not here. Um. No, I didn't want your no, opinion. I'm sure enough is progressed. I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, it's not that hard, Noam. You go to virtual background and then you click none. Yeah, I'm having trouble for some reason. Um, um, I did want your opinion, Noam, and we have some time, uh, if you'll indulge me on, on, on the cuties controversy. Was that, go ahead, go ahead, Dan. Oh, here it is. controversy, the Netflix movie. Oh, right. Constantine and, uh, and, um, why is it not, why am I not losing my, I gather, virtual background? This is one of those corporate Zoom calls, isn't it? Um, oh, I know. I, I can't get rid. I can't, I can't get rid of it. You guys go. I can't get rid of it because I'm using a, a, a plug-in. That's why. Okay. Um, what's my, my the Netflix yes, thing? Yes. Are you aware of what's going on? The controversy surrounding cuties. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit. You know, it's funny because I don't remember the like five, maybe six years ago. I tweeted something out like on Verizon uh, cable on the channel guy they have all this soft core porn and it'd be like um uh, almost teen girls to turn you real and, and it, all these um all these soft core porn movies where they were they were marketing to the fantasy of underage girls teen like almost teens and 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 i was like well this is really offensive isn't it like why are they getting away with marketing towards 
a, an attraction to underage women. Um, and obviously they, they find act, actresses who are of age, but look like they're 14, you know? Mm. And I tweeted something out about that and everybody yawned about it. I mean, I even spoke to some famous feminists about it and she, and she didn't get it. Um, all of which is to say that, yeah, I, I actually, I actually do think that something's been going on for a while that somehow this kind of, uh, playing towards the attraction of men to underage girls has been considered okay, but, and now they're finally being called on it. Well, but this movie's this movie's the theme, and I haven't seen the movie. Just the clips in question um, that people have uh, put on Twitter. But this movie purports to denounce the sexualization of underage girls. In other words, it's saying here's what's going on in society, and this is bad. And this is what's going on, and we should be horrified by it. Yeah, well, you think that's what's really going on? Because they seem to also be, you know, cleverly uh, also uh, using some of the titillating aspects of it to, to get eyeballs, right? I mean, but hasn't I showbiz always done this? I mean, look at the early stages of rock and roll. You had Chuck Berry singing Sweet Little 16. And I can't remember the name of another rock and roll singer. The song was called She Was Only 16. Elvin Bishop. Uh, yeah, and this has gone right the way from the very, very start of rock and roll from entertainment. Uh, it's all hold on, dramatic hold on. TV business. Are you saying this was? Hold a on, Francis. I found, <laughs> I found the, I found the thing. Uh, what, what, now, what happened to it? Oh, wait, 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 it went. It disappeared just as I. Um, that was very strange. Yes. Uh, Google, let me try it again. What Francis is saying is those were the good old days. I think. <laughs> Uh, I want to. Sh- so I found. Let me. Uh, let me. Uh, let me try that again. Are we about to um, change topics again? I was hoping to. Stay no, I want to show you the. Uh, okay, can you see that? Yeah. You can see that channel guide. Yep. Yep. Harry Teen oh, this was, this Beavers. Harry Teen Beavers. Oh. Uh, barely legal. Barely legal babes rub their fuzzy beavers for the camera, then suck a lucky guy. So this, and by the way, this is just one example. There's example after example after example of this. I'm like, where is it? Regular Verizon Fios. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you guys. This is taking a turn. Yeah. I was going to ask early if we're okay to swear. I think we've we've eclipsed that. Yeah. You're okay to swear. I feel like I just got my title for this episode, though, at least. <laughs> okay, but so isn't there something like they're going to boycott me for whatever, for whatever some comedian? Isn't there something weird about marketing towards the attraction of barely legal babes and hairy teen beavers? And nobody, nobody has any problem with it. I mean, the entire history of like art and literature is steeped in that exact notion. I mean, Lolita Nabokov. Well, I think it's Nabokov, number one. It's actually and, not good, okay. Well, first of all, no, I, I hope... I heard it pronounced Nabokov. I, I hope that the rich, you know, Maybe dude right. who... I hope that the guy who directed Harry Teen Beavers lives to hear you compare him to <laughs> Lolita. <laughs> Listen, well, I mean, it's a catchy I, title, let's be I, honest. I, I, I think well, again, Lolita, was, Lolita was purporting to say that this is a bad thing. <laughs> you know. Well, um, I mean... I I don't know, not exactly. I mean, I think I, it's much more complicated than that. 
let the record show that Periel has a soft spot for for underage girls, and and over, she does. <laughs> She's repeatedly defended forbidden love. I, just, uh, I I have I have a soft spot for um, beavers. I think more than anything. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I don't. I I mean, you don't you don't believe in pedophilia, obviously. But you do have you do you do you are not that outraged by like a fifteen year old or a sixteen year old going with like a twenty five year old guy. That doesn't. That doesn't hey guys, happen. can I just say what a pleasure it is to be on the show in this moment? Yeah. Hold on, are you being sarcastic? <laughs> yeah. Why? What, you're going to get in trouble? No, no, no. no we're joking. Uh, joking. But, but, this is the thing we do. This is the British way, as I've learned, is basically the way British people express affection for whoever they're talking to is you think of the most horrible thing you can think of. You say it to them as if you mean it. And that's how they know you oh, like them. Yeah. Taking, oh, okay. I'd call take that it. taking the piss. Yeah. yeah. Take the piss out of Absolutely. It's because we're emotionally retarded, shall we say. We can't express our emotions only when we're drunk. And you know if we really hate you because we're nice to your face. Uh, well, so anyway, let me say that I don't agree with Periel about this no, as a dad a of a daughter. Wait a second. I never, ever have taken that fucking position. I mean, that's outrageous. <laughs> Well, I, I'm complaining about softcore porn being targeted to people who want to, you know, or turned on, want to jerk off to underage girls. And you brought up uh, Russian literature. I mean, come on now. I mean, I'm just saying that it's not that shocking to me. I right. think it's everywhere in okay. our culture and has been like, I'm not that surprised that they're putting that there. Okay, gentlemen, I want to get. Are you? Would you guys call yourselves free speech absolutists? No, I, I wouldn't. Certainly, no. no, 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 no. So, some, some people have asked me, like, where would I draw the line? Would, would I put on a a comic that I knew by day was a Nazi? Where, where would your stand be on that? Well, I, there's a difference between person and speech, isn't there? Right. So, if he's doing yes. like cuddly, family-friendly material, I don't know. I mean, how how do you? No, right? Like, uh, I mean, give you an example. We've just had a thing, and it's a bit different because we have a national broadcaster where we all pay our taxes to have the BBC broadcast into our homes, right? So we all pay to have it. And there was just a comedy, a very woke comedy program on it, where uh, one of the comedians uh, was talking about, uh, she's a black comedian, was talking about how when we, as in black people, when we talk about kill whitey, we don't mean it. And the joke was, yes, we do. And then she went on to make a point, right? Now, and Francis and I were sort of having an argument about it today. Well, do you know what the intent was? We'll always stand up for a comic's right to make a joke. But should the producer have broadcast that because it's a pre-recorded thing? You know, so it's, it's a very complex issue, isn't it? And you kind of, I think you just know it when you see it, don't yeah, you know? I agree with you. And I, I, I don't know that it's complex. There, there is a part of me which just says, and, and if I've always felt this way, it's none of my goddamn business. Like if the audience is laughing, I mean, I, I compare it, I've compared it to um, in the old days, I had a musician who came in right at the time when Farrakhan had said, Louis Farrakhan is an American mm, figure, yeah. you probably know who he is. Um, you know, talking about Jews being a gutter religion and compared to him, and he came in wearing a Farrakhan t-shirt and I had this thing. And I'm like, oh, well, who cares? Like, what am I going to do? You know, and I, and I just went on. Now, of course, in, in 2020, if, some, if somebody were to wear the mirror image of that kind of sentiment on his T-shirt, he might never work again. Um, 
and that's that's what that's where that leads to. There is no limiting principle to this stuff. Mm-hmm. And because there's no limiting principle, and we see this over and over, we think there's going to be a limiting principle. And then five years later, we see that it is actually uh, out of control. I'm like, just, you know, America's, America, if, if America's going to go bad, if America's actually that fragile, it's not going to be because we let people speak freely or we didn't sufficiently punish, you know, somebody who we found out had a belief that we don't agree with that. I just think America's much healthier if we don't do that, I think that and, and you, know, I you think, were telling me an interesting story about an example of this today. What was that? Yeah, <laughs> okay. about, about the, the female comic. Yeah, about um, about. So the thing is, is because we have diversity quotas in the UK, then what essentially happens is that people get fast tracked in that they don't serve their time, they don't do the clubs, they don't do the open mics, they get fast tracked from open mic. And then you see them in the clubs and they can't even really hold a middle spot, which we all know is the easiest spot or even a 10 spot. And they get propelled onto TV, which then therefore means that when they get onto TV, they're nowhere near ready to be a comedian. They're nowhere near ready to make those jokes. And actually when they do make those types of jokes, they, they're not good. They don't know the nuances of comedy. They're trying to make a point, but they're not sharp enough. And it comes across as incredibly clumsy which is, I think, what happened in the instance of this woman. Is but what I meant the, is um, the explicitly of a, of, of a club comedian trying new material. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So the perfect example is someone like Chris Rock. So when he did, oh, you know this story, when he did the famous routine, Black People versus the N-Word, he himself said it, that the first six months he was doing that routine, it was just straight up racist, you know? It took a long time to get it honed and sharp and hitting and all the rest of it. But if we lived in a, if the society back then was like it is now, then someone would have videoed it. He would have been cancelled. He would have had to drop the routine, and it would never have become this thing of beauty. Is that is, which is, is that one of the finest comedy routines of all are time? Are the quotas you're describing in England stated explicitly, or you just sort of see it going on, and and um, you know it, 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 you can see that it's there, but nobody says explicitly that we have these quotas. It's a mix of both, uh, but it's getting to a point where, yeah, I mean, it's being stated explicitly. So I remember uh, I mentioned the Edinburgh Festival right at the beginning. Uh, in addition to doing your own hour show, you can go and do these sort of mixed bill shows as well, where everybody gets a spot. And then you could, and at the end of your spot, you, you promote your show, right? Uh, and I was talking to a club promoter who was booking one of these shows, and, and he was saying, yeah, I need to get... Uh, a certain number of this type of person, a certain number of that type of person. Uh, it's the same, you know, if you speak to people who book TV shows, it's exactly the same. And they'll tell you up front, you know, we need X number of uh, this type of comic, X number of that type of comic. So it's pretty blatant. And in fact, they're not only not really embarrassed about it, it's actually seen as a virtuous thing to be doing. Like right. here we are, we're, we're doing this thing. We're, we're doing the right thing. Uh, we've got, X number of black people or X number of this or X number of that. But what's very, very interesting pick back to the class system. So they'll pick, you know, a black comedian. So, you know, but you look and then they went to private school and private school, I think you've got the same, you call it the same word. So it's a fee paying school. So you only get to go to that school if you've got money. They then go to Oxford University or Cambridge. So they only pick black or ethnic minority people or women who number one come from the same background as them and more importantly as well number two share the same political opinions as them 
Heaven forbid that they would have put, pick a black comedian who has a socially conservative outlook or viewpoint. We're, start, we're starting to sound a little bit like two whiny losers. So just, <laughs> just, just, just to balance it out, yeah. uh, neither of us is in any way concerned about it from a personal point of view because fortunately we now have the internet. And Francis and I have been able to create something that people enjoy where we can perform to our own, own audience every night, you know, uh, and we can, we can go out to a comedy club and play to two or 300 people, or we can do a live stream to 2000 people every night, you know, uh, and it's an audience that's interested in what we're doing. And so the internet fortunately allows us to circumnavigate that thing, even if we, we don't tick the right boxes for other things. So we don't complain about it at all. You ask, I do. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's because he's working class. But but really, it's it's literally, uh, you know, it, it's it's a reality. You asked us, so we told you. But I don't think it it, it doesn't help to complain about. It. You just look like a, a whiny white person. Do you, do you know our dear friend Lewis Schaefer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We know Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and if, we got to let these guys go. I just wonder what their opinion of Lewis well, Schaefer. We're, we're good. If you if you want to carry on, we got yeah. a bit of time. I, you go ahead. I want to show them. You want, you want to ask? Want to talk about Lewis Schaefer? I want to show you what you think something. of crazy Lewis Schaefer, one of our one of our more interesting exports to the United Kingdom. He's <laughs> very good and very crazy. Yeah, yeah. I remember one of the first gigs I did. I saw Lewis Schaefer, and I'm just like, what? I mean, the, it, it was really fascinating to watch because there was moments where he was killing the crowd, were loving it, and there were moments where it was just like, I'm, is this going to start a riot? I don't know if you've seen his later stuff, but mostly it consists of telling people they've got diabetes. <laughs> no, no, he's <laughs> gone oh, to COVID is COVID is um, overblown. Yeah, who knows? He may be right. I mean, I think the jury is still out on COVID. It's, you know, I, I, I it seems like nobody really has a good handle on it. But in any well, case, yeah, I mean, it's it's a weird issue, isn't it? I think in, in this country, we overreacted, but it was probably the right decision to overreact because we didn't know what the fuck was going on. Uh, the, the issue for us now is, as I told you at the beginning, we're heading towards a second overreaction and we now know what's going on. And it doesn't really make sense because the death rates are going down. The hospitalizations are still very, very low. Uh, but we're reacting as if there's a massive problem. So yeah, but but so yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting conversation for another day. But I believe uh, that's a good segue into the you two have to get. Uh, Wait, Dan, Dan, I just wanted to show one thing. So you know, there's this website called Project CCDB, like Project Comedy Club database. Oh, I thought you. I thought it was going to be another thing. No, that's good. Right? Okay, cool. <laughs> and and they 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 apparently scoured the internet and they and they created a database of um. Ethnicity of all booked comedy club uh, uh, comedians. Uh, you could probably look it up to see exactly what their database is. But anyway, it's interesting here. Um, black or African-American. First of all, 25% of the comedians working in America, 25% are black. And 20% of them are black male, which are way, way overrepresented numbers. They're talking about blacks are about 12 or 13% of the population. So they're basically double- the, the, and the black males are like 6% of the population There's 20% of the working comedians. So, you know, no one's ever really thought through this logic. What does that mean? Are we supposed to cut back on black male comedians? I mean, if you really believe this, or if you, if we're not supposed to cut back, who is it supposed to, whose hide is it supposed to come out of those extra 
fifteen percent or whatever. I'd like to see what happens to any, <laughs> anyone who advocates that policy. No, that would be quite something. Yeah, it? don't tweet that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you know what well, I'm going to do to make things fair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but it is interesting because you know, uh, um, black people do pretty well in comedy. I mean, they they dominate. You know, in, in, uh, among most of the most famous comedians. Listen, so, man, this is where we need to go back to what we've been talking about for this whole hour, which is. Fuck all these quotas. Let's go back to meritocracy if we can, or go forward to meritocracy. Yeah. If you're good, you get in. If you're not, you don't get in. And your your genitals, your race, your whatever doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're funny, you're funny. If you're not funny, you're not. That's that's the thing we all love about comedy, I think, and it's the thing we all love about sport. And Francis always says this. You know, it's like it's on merit. If you're if you're in the team, it's because you're you're smashing it. And if you're not in the team, it's because you're not playing well. You know. Um, and that's why people love sport because they have the, it feels fair. And I think comedy is one of those rare fields where you can kind of judge who's good and who's not. And you, mm-hmm. you know yourself when you go off stage, have, have I crushed it or did I die on my ass? I mean, I do think yeah. the, the one thing I'll say, and we've made this point before, is that to the extent that somebody of a different background can bring in a different point of view, mm-hmm. then you have more variety. Yeah, right. Yeah. That can be interesting in and of itself. Yep. So yep. if I were running a show, I might want different points of view, right. but I would also want everybody to have a certain level of competence. But I might, I might seek variety in terms of style, and that might mean more diversity. But, but that's well, that's also, to there's you. a rebuttal to that. So for instance, let's say you, I mean, obviously, uh, God rest his soul, but Mitch Hedberg, and, you, and then you have um, Hannibal Barrett, then comedically, they're actually quite similar in terms of their style, in terms of their joke writing. In ter- in, you know, the, Hannibal would admit himself, he's very much interested, influenced by Mitch. But then, you, you know, just because somebody has the same race as another person doesn't mean that they're going to have the same comedic style. Eddie Izzard and Bill Burr are two, you know, white men, but they're fundamentally incredibly Eddie, different Does Eddie uh, identify as a man or does he re- non-binary i think actually i should correct myself i think i, I, think, <laughs> I think i think because at one point eddie was a transvestite i think uh last time I, I was talking with him i think he was identifying as transgender well last time you were talking to him you he got you to feel his artificial boobs yeah they were great actually he's a talent or she's a talent or they're yeah. a talent yeah yeah yeah, he's a, he's a genius, isn't uh, he? He's brilliant. It, what, what's fantastic about someone like Eddie is uh, his comedy is amazing, and what he's done and what he's achieved, of course, you should respect. But one of the fascinating things about him is his mindset. So I remember when I was opening for him in Spain, and we were sitting there and we were talking, and he said to me, "Oh, you know, I I, I used to be scared of flying." I was like, "Oh, really?" He was like, "Yeah, yeah, terrified." I went, "So, how did you overcome this, Eddie?" He just looked at me and went, "Oh, I just got my pilot's license." Yeah. You know, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Not a joke because, you know, it's that single minded, ferocious dedication and desire and drive. And then you look at someone like that, you see the amount of work and the focus, and you go, Oh, I get why you're in Hollywood. I understand it. Anyway, we don't want you to go back to your point, Dan. I actually agree with you to some extent. Uh, I do think a little bit of variety, even if it's sort of slightly engineered, I think that's good. But I think we've gone way, way beyond that now. I, th- I think you're dis- I think yeah. I, but I also think we're discussing two things. You're, you're, Dan, you're zooming out and saying I'm putting I'm putting together a show, so I'm trying to make it the best show it can be. And I think t- I don't want to have 
the five most brilliant white comics in a row because it's monotonous, you know, whatever it is. So I'm going to, which is quite different than saying I have to give somebody a chance because of their race or, or any kind of quota thing. You're just, yes, you're just I, speaking absolutely. up. Absolutely. But I'm just saying. You're that. just speaking up for the fact that, that uh, you know, that things should be interesting and, and there's various ways to do that. And one way to do that is to have contrasts, right? Which is, and that's unobjectionable and, and obviously true, but that's not a reason. The, the state is not interested. Your show needs to be more interesting. So you need to have more Hispanic comedians. They're not, that's not what they're saying. Hmm. They're saying you, you have a social duty to hire more comedians because there must be some, because if you don't have any, that must be because you're not hiring them. And the reason you're not hiring them must be because they're Spanish or Latino. And, and that's quite a different issue. I think. Well, I know comedians in this country, for example, who, who've, who've come off a, a showcase for a show, let's say, right? And there's eight people applying for a TV spot or whatever. And, they, and they've done the best. And the producers come to them and say, you were the best tonight. You're a middle-aged white guy. We can't get you in. As simple as that. Right. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants to live in a world where people are, you know, just, 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 just their skin color and their sex. It just I do want to underline, by the way, once again, to repeat that Constantin and Francis are rolling in dough. This is not sour grapes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not middle-aged. We're not middle-aged. Not- we're, we're, we're way past that now. <laughs> We got to go, but you guys need to come to play in the comedy cellar. You don't have to perform if you don't want to, but at least to come and hang out. Oh, we'd love to. We'd love to. Uh, What's the the British uh, Tatiana? Tatiana McGraw. Yeah. Tatiana McGraw. Yeah. Uh, um, She's come down to the olive tree, and I've had a few uh, uh, coffees with her. Yeah. Um, you, You probably. Well, you, you her know. or Andrew Doyle, the creator? Andrew of- Doyle, Andrew Doyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew's, Andrew's a friend of a good friend of ours. We've had him on the show a bunch of times. Last year, before the great plague of 2020, we actually did a bunch of live shows where we interviewed the actor who he got to play her role uh, in front of a live audience. And those were the best comedy yeah. shows we've ever done uh, by he's a long a, way. He, he was so... He was... He was- it's a great company. I really enjoyed meeting him. Yeah, he's a great guy. And he's a sweetheart. He's such a lovely guy and he's so funny as well. Yeah. Next time yeah, we're really. in New York, which will probably be in, in the winter of 2027, <laughs> um, we'll look you up. And they'll, they'll, you'll probably go together because that's how you guys generally travel. That's how we yeah, travel. We, that's how we travel now. We're we'll, now a couple. We'll see you both there. And thanks for coming. Uh, I think this was a pretty Where good discussion. Find you guys. I I've not, I haven't seen uh, Francis on Twitter. I, I have to look it up, but I, but I, um, and I'm not big on Twitter. But, but Constantine is fantastic on Twitter, and I uh, give your Twitter handle so people can both you guys give your Twitter handles. So I'm at Constantine Kisten, and I'm at Francis J Foster. And our YouTube show where we interview people uh, is at TriggerPod, and it's called Trigonometry, uh, as in gun trigger for the Americans. Uh, in uh, in uh, in YouTube, so just look it up there. Um, and thanks very much for having us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Podcast you so at comedyseller dot com for questions, comments, suggestions. Uh, Periel at live from the table. At live from the table. Periel, send me his email address. I want to, I want to email him sometimes when uh, you can be on a known email ch- uh, you know mm-hmm. list where he emails articles and off- oftentimes Noam will just send an email saying this. 
famous journalist says exactly what I said a week ago. Uh, do you do you know you know John Haidt, the guy who wrote uh, yeah, yeah, The Righteous John, John, John. Mind? Yeah, yeah, you know he he lives near us, and um, I'm I'm kind of friends with him too. Uh, so if, if you come, you know, he's like a he's like a hero to people who think like us, right? Mm. So you you might want to I try to get him to come down to meet you if you come down. He's yeah. such a great well, guy. help us get him on the show via Zoom. We'd love to interview um, him. Oh, I, well, have you emailed him? Uh, I may have, uh, but maybe not. I don't remember. I probably did once or twice, but if you could put a good word in for us, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Email him and and make sure you have. And if you if you have, then maybe send it to me, and I, and I will absolutely email him, and I'll and I'll re- recommend you because he does he does podcasts. He did our podcast when we were not known at all. So, mm, fantastic, brilliant. Yeah. All right, gang. All right. We went so long, everybody. Cheers, everybody. Thanks very much. Thanks. Bye.